You are listening to a podcast by Spring Hill Church in Charlotte, North Carolina. Spring Hill Church is called to reach everyday people with God's grace, His unconditional love, and the life-changing power of His Word. Thanks for listening, and if you would like more information, you can visit us online at springhill.cc. Let's open our message today with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the privilege that I have to stand in front of these, your precious people, to speak the Word of God Lord, I thank you for the, the anointing that's already on the word. Father, I thank you for the anointing that's upon my life. And I pray, Father, that my words won't be my words. They'll be your words. My thoughts will be your thoughts. And that, Father, your hand will be into this message in every way, and it will speak to each of our hearts. And, Father, we purpose that we'll not just be hearers of the word, but we'll be doers of the word as well. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Well, if you came in today and you didn't receive a handout and you would like to receive one and maybe you need a pen, just hold your hand up high. We have some. We'll get to you. I want you to be able to take some good notes for today's message. And, and uh, as I was praying about what direction to go in for this next series, I believe the Lord laid this on my heart and wants us to cover some things because I believe uh, maybe, you know, more so on my heart than, than others, but, you know, have you ever thought about this? What happens when you breathe your last breath and your body ceases to function and fails? You know, when we're young, we don't often think about that. You know, I, uh, I heard something the other day that I thought was really interesting. Research has shown us that in young people prior to the age of 30, there's a part of our brain that is not yet developed that is able to comprehend the concept of mortality. And, and this is why you very often will see, you know, and it's real popular today. I don't know if you've seen this on YouTube or maybe some other uh, means of media where young people are doing some really funny stuff, crazy stuff, like jumping from building to building real high and, and driving real fast and doing things like that. And listen, I'm just as guilty as anybody, you know, especially since I'm 29 and... Uh, but, you know, that's why a lot of times we, uh, when we're younger, we do things like that. It's because we really don't understand the concept of mortality. But God wants us to have a concept of that, and, and, and God really wants us to understand what happens on an eternal basis. So let's look at some scripture Jesus gave to us in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. It says this, then he, Jesus, spoke a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater and there I will store all my crops and goods and I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. For God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then those will lay those things, or, or then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and not, is not rich toward God. Now, there's a concept here that Jesus is wanting us to get it. You know, there's something that I very often say and, and when I'm teaching the Word, and, and especially the Gospels, is that Jesus never did random, he never did accidentally, and he only used words that he very intentionally intended to use. And what's interesting about this particular parable is that 13 times the pronoun is used representing I or me, or talking about myself in the context of the man. And what's interesting is numbers matter in the scriptures. And if you do any study at all, you'll find out that the, the number 13 is a number that is often used and indicates rebellion towards the plan of God. Now, what's interesting about this man is notice this. He did everything he could to provide for himself in the natural. And he was plenteous in goods. He had lots of stuff and 
He was expanding and he was growing and there's nothing wrong with any of that, but there's one thing that the man forgot and that is this, write this down please. This man worked very hard to take care of himself in life, but he did nothing to prepare for eternity. He didn't think eternally. And God's plan is that we begin to think eternally, that we begin to think big picture. You know, it's real easy to get caught up in the world in which we live and the grind of the day and going to work and coming home and taking care of our homes and households and our families and, and getting caught up in all of that on a regular basis. But, but God wants us to keep a concept in, in our hearts about eternity. And so what I want you to do is I, I want you to begin to think about eternity. That's what this series is all about. And it's going to really help us expand our thinking. Write this down, please. An understanding of eternity begins with understanding that it is God's will for us to have a knowing. Everybody say knowing. knowing. To have a knowing of our eternal destiny. God wants you to know where you are going. You know, the scripture says that uh, this isn't all there is to life. You know, the scripture makes a reference and says this life is like a vapor. It's like a puff of steam. You ever notice how steam is there for a second and dissipates and, and then it's gone? But I want to show you this in 1 John chapter 5, verses 12 and 13. It says this, whoever has the son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the son does not possess eternal life. I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the son of God. Now here's the whole point, And that is this, so that you will be assured and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. I want everybody in this room, by the time we're said and done today, to leave here with the knowledge of hopefully knowing that you're on your way to heaven. But at the least, the very least, I want us to begin to contemplate and think about eternity on a scale and know that I will end up eternally somewhere. Now, let's dive into this a little bit. What happens when someone dies? Death is not something that we like to talk about, but we as believers uh, should talk about it. And, and so let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 23. It says this, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be preserved blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now it's very important that you understand you are a three-part being. You are a spirit, you possess a soul, and you live in a body. Again, you are a spirit, you possess a soul made up of your mind, your will, and your emotions. I heard one preacher say it this way. Your soul is made up of your thinker, your feeler, and your chooser, okay? And then you live in a body. Is there anybody here today that doesn't live in a body? Okay, no, we all live in a body. All right, so it's very, very important to understand that you are made up of those three parts. Say this after me. Say, I am a spirit. I, am a spirit. I, have, a I have a soul. And I live in a body. Let's say it one more time. I am a spirit. I have a, I have a, soul, I have a soul. And I live in a body. Okay. Now, there's something interesting about your body that gives you a right that no other being has, and that is this. Write this down, please. While you are living in the body, you have the choice to go anywhere you want to go. You know, if you don't like the climate of North Carolina, which I don't understand why you would not, but if you don't, if you prefer, prefer a warmer climate, guess what? You could go to Florida, you can go to Southern California. You can go to Arizona. If you are strange and prefer cold weather, you can move up north to New York, okay, or Minnesota, all right, or as, as some in the room say, Minnesota, okay? 
But here's my point, and that is we have the choice to be able to move, to go wherever we want to go. And did you know the same thing is true spiritually? That as long as you are alive and in this body, you have the choice to go eternally wherever you want to go. Now, what's interesting is once that ends, that choice ends as well. Look at Ecclesiastes chapter 8, verse 8 in the easy-to-read version of the Bible. It says this, No one has the power to keep their spirit from leaving or to stop their death. When it is time and, and you have either made the decision to go to heaven to, and to go home and be with the Lord and your body ceases to function, guess what? You do not have the power to keep your spirit in that body if the body ceases to function. You don't possess that kind of power. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. That Write this down. When your spirit leaves your body, you no longer have a choice in where you go. Here's the, the easy way to say it. It's too late. You should have made that decision while you were still alive in the body because after the body ceases to function and your spirit and your soul leave your body, that choice is over. That time frame is over. Let me show you a couple of scriptures. Ecclesiastes chapter 12 and verse 7 says this, And then the dust will return to the earth as it was, and the spirit will return to God who gave it. Now, what that means is, is that when that time comes and your spirit leaves your body, then based on your choice, your eternal destiny at that point is determined by God. Now, he doesn't make that choice and go contrary to what you have chosen. What he does is facilitates what you have chosen while you're in this life. That's why maybe you've heard this before when Jesus was hanging on the cross and he was getting very close to the end of his natural life and he uh, had asked for something to drink and the Bible says that he took a drink of the sour wine and, and then it says in, in Luke 23 verse 46, and when Jesus had cried out with a loud voice, he said this, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last now, here's the thing. When Jesus was hanging on the cross because he was guilty of sin, not his own sin, but he took your sin and my sin in himself on the cross, he had to pay the price as though someone that lived their life separated from God and therefore he had to step over into eternity separated from God. And so he had to put his spirit into the hands of God based on what God's plan was and that was that he paid the price for you and for me. Now, here's where I want to unravel some thinking maybe that we have. I, I want to say this to you, okay? And maybe clarify some stuff. Listen, when you or a loved one pass away, you do not stay in the earth. Now, I'm not, I'm not trying to take away from anything or or diminish how someone might feel. But, you know, I'll hear people say occasionally, well, you know, I just felt my grandma was with me. No, grandma's not with you. Grandma, based on her choices, uh, went to one of two places eternally, but grandma's not with you. Listen, Uncle Fred is not in the attic rattling a bunch of chains and stuff, okay, <laughs> which is... You know, we have a, we, this time of year, all that kind of stuff comes up, okay? Now, you need to understand, and I know I'm making light of that situation, but you need to understand that there is a world of darkness that we cannot see that is functioning in this earth. And listen, they work and do their best to accommodate our weird beliefs like that. And so, you know, we're instructed in the Bible, you know, I, I, I'll hear somebody say, and listen, I, again, I'm not diminishing this. You know, my grandmother who passed away a couple years ago, I'll make a comment, boy, I sure do miss you, you know, or something like that. But listen, don't ever fall into the trap of, of talking literally to someone who has already passed away. 
The Bible actually teaches very much against that. And in the Old Testament, that could get you in a lot of problems. And here's why. It's because, again, there are demonic spirits who will accommodate you if you try and do stuff like that. And, you know, listen, uh, don't go see sister whoever that has the hand on the sign in the front yard, okay, that declares that she or he is hearing from people that have passed on. They are not. They're hearing from what is called familiar spirits who are familiar with your life and have information, and it's, it's a design by the powers of darkness to deceive people. You know, and I, I know, I see the people on TV that, uh, you know, what was the, the lady up in New Jersey, the New Jersey medium or whatever, and I'm not picking on her, but listen, she ain't hearing from dead folks. She's hearing from something, all right, but it's not dead folks, okay? And you don't want to accommodate those types of things. So what does happen when a person dies? Well, let's talk about what happened in the Old Testament. And write this down, please. In the Old Testament, when a righteous person died, they did not go to heaven. Now, that might shock some of you. When a, when a righteous person under the Old Testament died, they did not go to heaven as you and I understand it. Let me show you a couple of scriptures just from the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 49 and verse 33, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, who gave birth or, or was the father of the 12 sons that eventually became the leaders of the 12 tribes of Israel. In Genesis 49, verse 33, it says this, and when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, now, now it was customary in that day when, when the patriarch of the family was getting ready to die, they would gather the kids around and the patriarch would bless the children. And so they had gathered uh, Isaac and, and I mean, um, the, the children, the, the sons of, of Jacob had gathered around so that he could pronounce a blessing on them. And so it says, when Jacob had finished commanding his sons, look at this, he drew his feet up into the bed and breathed his last and looked and was gathered to his people. This is a very common phrase that you'll see in the Old Testament. Genesis chapter 25 and verse 8 says this, then Abraham uh, Jacob's great or grandfather rather, then Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man full of years, and was gathered to his people. So what happened to these people under the Old Testament? Well, without going into a, a lot of detail, I don't have time to go to all the scriptures that support this. I'm going to have to ask you to kind of indulge me and maybe take my word for it a little bit. But We'll talk more about some of these things in, in next week's lesson. But when people under the Old Testament died, they did not go to heaven yet. They went to a place that was called Abraham's bosom, or Jesus on the cross called it paradise. And this was a place where the Old Testament saints were gathered together and were held there until the Messiah came. And so you have all these Old Testament saints held there and were gathered there. And, and I love the fact, and we're going to look at a scripture in just a second, that that was not the end of their story. Now somebody says, well, you know, that sounds like Catholic purgatory to me. No, it's different. It's not purgatory. It's not uh, a part of that doctrine. Um, because basically, and somebody says, well, gosh, that's not fair to those people. We have to understand something. Once you, once you cross the threshold of eternity, time is no longer relevant to you. Isn't that good to know? I'm going to say it to you a better way that ought to make you smile. Age will no longer be relevant to you once you cross over. Hallelujah. Because I believe aging stops. Somebody asked me one time, you know, what age is the ideal age when you get to heaven? I said, well, I really don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us, but I do believe Jesus was 33 when he ascended to heaven. So maybe when we all get to heaven, we're all going to be 33, praise the Lord. <laughs> now, those of you who aren't 33 yet, that sounds, doesn't sound too good. But for those of us who are just a couple years beyond that, that sounds awesome. Amen. Amen. I don't know. The Bible doesn't really tell us those things. But here's my point is that these people, these Old Testament saints, were being held in this place called Abraham's bosom, awaiting the Messiah. 
Because part of the Messiah's mission, if you will, was going to be setting these people free. Now, one thing I love about the Apostle Paul, brilliant man, he had a, a, an ability, of course, by the, the power of the Holy Ghost, to be able to write to us and give us, in all of his epistles, a behind-the-scenes look at what was going on spiritually through the work of what Jesus did. You know, the Gospels give us a, an upfront view where we can see Jesus' life, we see his death, his burial, and his resurrection, but Paul gives us what happened behind the scenes when Jesus was crucified and raised from the dead. And if you'll look with me at Ephesians chapter 4, verses 8 through 10, it says this, and I'm reading from the English Standard Version, and it says, therefore, it says... When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. Now, a captive is somebody that's held someplace uh, outside of their will, outside of their choosing, okay? So it says that when he ascended on high, he led a host of captives and he gave gifts to men. In saying he ascended... What does it mean but that he had also descended into the lower regions of the earth? He who descended is the one who also ascended far above all the heavens that he might fill all things. Let me explain to you what Paul is telling us, that when Jesus died on the cross, because he died with my sin and with your sin, and when he breathed his last, he experienced something that he had never experienced before in all of his eternal existence, and that was this thing called separation from God. That's why he cried out on the cross and said, uh, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? Because God, when his son took our sin on himself, God had to turn his back on him. And when Jesus breathed his last and and he physically died, then his spirit was determined to go somewhere, and it was the plan of God that he paid the price for us. Now, what I'm getting ready to tell you has been debated by preachers for years, uh, but the Scripture tells us that Jesus descended to a place in the lower regions of the earth called hell. Now, here's where the debate comes in, but you know, did Jesus die spiritually? Well, in a roundabout way, he did, not because he sinned, but because we sinned. But here's what you need to understand is that if he did not go to hell, you can't go to heaven. So Jesus went to pay, it's awfully quiet in here today, uh, but Jesus paid that price, and when he was in the darkest regions of hell and I can't wait to get to heaven to ask God, what is the significance in time of three days before Jesus was raised from the dead? But the Bible says that while he was in that place, being tormented by the powers of darkness, harassed by Satan because Satan had thought he had finally won and finally beaten God, in the midst of all of that, the word from heaven spoken and permeated the regions of darkness, and all of a sudden the Son of Man who was dead spiritually, all of a sudden was made alive, and the scripture calls him, he was the firstborn from the dead. Well, guess what? If there's a firstborn, there's a secondborn, thirdborn, fourthborn, and whatever number you and I are. And so when God spoke those words and raised him from the dead, he was made alive, and the scripture says that while he was in that place, he defeated the powers of darkness, took from them the keys of death, hell, and the grave, walked out of hell, passed through this region called paradise, and all those thousands and thousands of Old Testament saints that were being held there, he preached about himself and said, I am the one who it was promised to you is coming and I am here to redeem you, to deliver you, and to set you free. Those people gave their hearts to him. They were born again and he was able to take them out with him when he was raised from the dead. Somebody says, that sounds crazy, pastor. Well, let me prove it to you. Okay? Matthew 27 Verses 52 and 53. 
And the graves, when Jesus was raised from the dead, it says, and the graves were open. I love that. There was so much power present in that one tomb when Jesus was raised from the dead. Anybody that was within miles of that graveyard, if they were Old Testament saints, a lot of them got raised up too. Because look, look, you believe the Bible, don't you? Okay, are you sure? Okay, and the graves were opened and many bodies of the saints, the Old Testament saints, who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the graves after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. Now, he doesn't tell us who, but can you imagine being a resident of Jerusalem at this particular day when Jesus was raised from the dead and all of a sudden you see Uncle Frank who you knew died 25 years ago, loved God with all of his heart and all of a sudden Uncle Frank's alive and walking around and telling you what just happened to him in paradise. And the Bible says that they walked around on the earth for a few days and then Jesus took them with him to heaven. Somebody said, Pastor, I've never heard this before. Guess what? It's been in the Bible all along. Okay. So here's what I want you to see. Write this down, please. Prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, heaven was closed to mankind because of man's sin. Heaven was closed to mankind because of man's sin. Now, there were two exceptions to that. Two people that have gone to heaven that have not experienced death. The first one was Elijah, the prophet. You remember the chariot came down, chariot of fire came down and, and swooped him up and took him to heaven. The other one is a man that you read about in the book of Genesis named Enoch. I love Enoch. There's only about three verses that talk about Enoch, but the Bible says that he walked with God and all of a sudden he was not for God took him. Here's what happened. He walked with God and got so close and got so close to heaven, God said, instead of you going home, why don't you just come home with me? And so he went on to heaven and never experienced death. Now, if you're familiar with uh, New Testament prophecy in the book of Revelation, it talks about the two prophets that will come into the earth during the time of the tribulation. And I believe personally that's Elijah and Enoch that will come to the earth because... Legally and spiritually, they have to experience death in order to be qualified for all of the things that you and I are already qualified for while we're there. And so the Bible says that as they come into the earth, they prophesy, they, they uh, persecute, if you will, the Antichrist, and then they are martyred for their faith. But then they're resurrected, and then they go to heaven. Somebody says, again, pastor, stuff I ain't never heard before. It's in the book. All right? Now, here's what I want you to see. A uh, little side note. Anybody in here know and can tell me, on the day of Pentecost, which was 40 days after the resurrection of Jesus, the Holy Spirit was poured out. Peter gets up, preaches a 20-minute little message, and 3,000 people get saved. And so the church in a moment of time grew from 120 to 3,120, okay? You ever wondered why that happened? Now, Peter was a great preacher. Don't misunderstand me. He was good, but he wasn't that good. <laughs> what do I mean by that? Okay, listen. If for the last number of days you've been seeing a bunch of Old Testament saints walking around town, your eternity is going to be on your mind. And so when a man steps up and after the power of the Holy Ghost has come upon him and he preaches a message and says, this Jesus whom you crucified is, who, and was dead is now alive and lives forevermore. And so because of Peter preaching the gospel and, and preaching them the truth and giving them dots to connect as to what just happened in Jerusalem, all those people gave their hearts to Christ. You got to start connecting the dots and paying attention to the details. Now, again, prior to Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, heaven was closed. But let's look at John chapter 14, verses 1 through 4. 
Just hours before his crucifixion, Jesus has gathered his team together. They're in the upper room. They've just received the Passover meal. And Jesus sits down and he begins to say something to him. He tells him, I'm getting ready to leave. And can you imagine this man that they have depended on for three years, their lives totally revolved around him for three years. He stands up and he tells them, I'm getting ready to leave you. I can imagine they're, you know, like they say in the country, their tree fell. I mean, their faces fell. And so Jesus, he leads into John chapter, what we know as chapter 14, verse 1, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. Now, if you study that word mansions out, it doesn't mean like $3 million mansion. It means dwelling place, a place for you to dwell and live, okay? He says, if it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am there you may be also, and where I go you know, and the way you know. So prior to this moment, heaven is closed up, but Jesus just got through telling them, hey, I'm fixing to open the door. I am getting ready to do what is necessary to prepare a place for you so that you can also come and be with me. Write this down, please. Jesus opened the way to heaven and into God's presence, and he made it possible for us to be able to go. Hallelujah. Now, I want to begin to just kind of start winding this down. You know, I'm, I, I, I get five closings, okay? So this is number one. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 1. I'm reading from the New Living Translation. Paul wrote this. He said, For we know that when this earthly tent we live in is taken down, that is, when we die and leave this earthly body, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Now, I want to stop right here and, and illustrate this for you a little bit. You know, my brother, who's four years older than I am, uh, was in the Boy Scouts, and when we were young boys, um, he was very involved in the Boy Scouts and would go, you know, to the jam, uh, jamborees is what they called them and so forth. And uh, he came home one day and uh, through the Boy Scouts, he had gotten a tent. Except back in this day, this is 50 plus years ago, the tents were made out of canvas. Anybody remember a canvas tent? You know, this is before you could go to Walmart and buy a $20 nylon tent. You had an old school canvas tent that, you know, was held up with ropes and stakes and the whole nine yards. And uh, I remember vaguely, I probably didn't make it all night long, but I remember him putting that tent up in the backyard and he and I were going to sleep out in that tent. And I would venture to say he probably ended up by himself about halfway through the night. You know why? Because a tent is not nearly as comfortable as a house. I loved my bed. I loved being inside versus being outside with the bugs and, and, and everything else that's going on outside. But here's the thing. Have you, can you imagine with me that if my brother still had that tent and it was still up where he had pitched it that night for us to camp out, can you imagine what kind of condition that canvas tent would be in? It would probably have holes in it. The rope would probably have rotted by now probably would have been fallen down, needed some repair, all those types of things. But a house is a little different than a tent. A house, if you'll maintain it, take care of it, will last for years. Matter of fact, I'm, I'm thoroughly amazed. One of these days I'm going to be able to see it firsthand, but it always amazes me when I see documentaries of uh, anybody watch Rick Steves' Travels to Europe? Okay, thank you for that one person in the back. Praise the Lord. All right, but this is a show on PBS where he travels around Europe. And, and you know what? He stays in inns, beds and bed and breakfasts, that are in homes that are five, six, and 700 years old. That the people have maintained, they've stayed in one family, they've taken care of it, they've maintained it. They, you know, perhaps 
run electricity and running water and all those, you know, the things we like today into this house, but the house itself is very old. But here's what I want you to see. Using Paul's illustration, what you and I live in is a tent now. And guess what happens to that tent as time progresses? You know, it has a tendency to not be able to do some of the things that it did earlier. Maybe falls apart in an area or two and you have to get some help and get stuff put back together and all those types of things. And, and, uh, but the thing that I want you to see is, is that over time, this tent that we live in here in the earth is falling apart. It's decaying. But here's the good news. You and I have a house waiting on us in heaven. Are, do you mean brick and mortar? No. I'm talking about a body that we have to look forward to that is, is going to be nothing like what you and I are experiencing today. Uh, Paul says, we will have a house in heaven, an eternal body made for us by God himself and not by human hands. Can you use your imagination with me for just a moment as to what it would be like to live in a body that has no pain, no discomfort, just peace, joy, all of the things that we attribute to God and to heaven, experiencing that all the time. That's what's waiting on us when we get there. We grow weary in our present bodies and we long to put on our heavenly bodies like new clothing, Paul said, for we will put on heavenly bodies and will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan and sigh. There's a lot of that. If you're ever around here when we're setting up for church, there's a lot of groaning and sighing going on. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm guilty, all right? How many of you notice you can't, you know, I'm 59 years old. I can't jump up and run out and do stuff like I used to when I was 25. Well, I guess I'm the only one. Praise the Lord. For we will put on heavenly bodies. We will not be spirits without bodies. While we live in these earthly bodies, we groan inside, but it's not that we want to die and get rid of these bodies that clothe us. Rather, we want to put on our new bodies so that these dying bodies will be swallowed up by life. God himself has prepared us for this, and as a guarantee, he has given us his Holy Spirit. Write this down, please. The body is the tent that Paul is referring to, but we will get an eternal house to live in for eternity. Hallelujah. That's what we have to look forward to, y'all. I want to go on and read this to you from 2 Corinthians chapter 5, same chapter, verses 6 through 8. So we are always confident, even though we know that as long as we live in these bodies, we are not at home with the Lord. You're going to be one place or the other. For we live by believing and not by seeing. One translation says, because we're not, we don't live by what we see, we live by what we believe. Yes, verse 8, we are fully confident and we would rather be away from these earthly bodies for then we will be at home with the Lord. Now, as I said to you, your time for making that choice is while you still have breath in your lungs. And when you and I choose to give our hearts to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are born again, then something transpires for us that nobody in the earth can experience except one that has been born again, and that is this. The sting of death has been done away with. Are you listening to me? Write this down, and if you don't get anything else out of this message, get this right here. A Christian should never fear death. Um, death, dying, will be the easiest thing that you do as a Christian, as a believer. It's not something that you have to dread. Now, I'm not saying I want to die tomorrow but I'm not afraid of it when the time comes. Um, I love the fact that 
Dying simply, you know, Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians 5 as getting dressed. You know, when you die, laying the body down is as easy as taking a coat off, dropping it on the chair and walking away from it. That's what death is like for a believer. Now, as I begin to close for real, you know, I, I love history and I'm always enthralled by history, and, and church history is no, no exception. I, I often wonder if you've ever studied ancient Rome and you know anything about Roman history, there were periods in, in Roman history where the Romans were friendly to Christians, but towards the end of the Roman Empire, they were very unfriendly and very uh, adversarial towards Christians totally. Matter of fact, where there was an emperor in Rome whose name was Nero, and, and if you've ever studied Roman history, one thing you'll begin to find out is that because of so much inbreeding that was going on among the Roman hierarchy, and particularly those, this, this family of the Caesars, that uh, the mental state of a lot of the Roman emperors began to decline. Nero was such a mentally depraved man that he uh, wanted to raise a bunch of taxes to build himself the most opulent palace that Rome had ever seen. And so he began to redirect funds that were meant to go and build infrastructure in Rome, such as the Roman roads and, and sewage and, and all that type of thing, and began to direct that towards his palace and the Senate in Rome, began to present opposition to Nero. So Nero, to get rid of the opposition, what he did is he went and started, he and his servants went and started a fire in Rome that burnt two-thirds of Rome down to the ground. But Nero knew that he could never be successful in ruling and reigning if, if it was found out that he did that. So what he did is he blamed the Christians for it. He began to spread knowledge all throughout Rome and through the leadership of Rome that it was the Christians that had burnt the city down. So of course, that raised a great level of persecution against Christians in Rome and in the Roman territories. So much so that, and Nero developed such a hatred for Christians that if you've ever seen the Roman Colosseum in Rome, which still parts of it stand today, that the biggest and highest entertainment in that Colosseum was not the gladiators like we've seen Hollywood present, but, but really the, the highest level of entertainment is where they would round up a large group of Christians, they would bring them into the center of that Colosseum, starve lions until they were at the point of starvation, and then they would turn them loose in that Colosseum so the people could cheer and yell as the lions ripped the Christians to shreds and consumed them. That was great entertainment to the people of Rome. Nero was also so deprived that as, <clears throat> excuse me, they were constructing uh, a part of the city, he was pushing the people to work 24 hours a day. Well, of course, they had no electricity, no lights, and so it was difficult for the people to work around the clock. So what Nero did is he rounded up more Christians, dipped them in tar, crucified them on poles, and lit them on fire so they could be nightlights for the people to be able to work 24 hours a day. Listen, what we see in the world today as far as persecution towards Christians is nothing new. But again, my mind, as I think about that and I see and I hear these things, my mind goes to what enabled these people when they were faced with a choice, deny Jesus and you can live, or you could die. And it wasn't just dying, it was some type of horrible, decrepit death. What enabled these people to hold on to their faith and to understand, I love Jesus too much to stand here in public and to not deny that I know him and that he is my Lord and Savior? What enabled them to do that? Here's what it was. Write this down, please. The early church Christians not only believed in their eternal home, they knew where they were going. And the Bible teaches us in Hebrews chapter 11 that 
a lot of the martyrs, it says that they turned down deliverance from the Lord so that they could go to that better place. And so they, instead of denying their faith, they knew that they knew that they knew what their eternal destiny was. And so in their minds, going there is a whole lot better than staying here. They knew it. They didn't just believe it. You know, I could take a clipboard, go over here to Carolina Place Mall, and I could walk around and I could ask questions such as, do you believe in Jesus? Oh, yes, I believe in Jesus. Do you go to church? Yes, I go to church on Easter and Christmas, weddings and funerals. Do you believe Jesus died on a cross? Yes, I believe Jesus died on a cross. Do you believe he was raised from the dead? Well, I believe he and the Easter bunny, something happened at Easter, okay? See, people have a knowledge. They have maybe even a belief of what they've been taught religiously, but when it comes right down to it, they do not know that they know that they know what their eternal destiny is. And I want you to write this down, please, and never forget it. Eternity is too long and hell is too risky to not know what your eternal destiny is. I know it's popular in culture today and even in church culture. You know, there's a lot of churches, believe it or not, that believe that hell doesn't exist. Oh, no, my brothers and sisters, hell exists and is just as real as heaven exists. But don't misunderstand me. It is not God's will for anybody to experience that. The Scripture says clearly, it is not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the knowledge, knowing where you are destined to go. I want to wrap up by reminding you of this scripture, 1 John chapter 5, 12 and 13, and we read it at the beginning of the message. Whoever has the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not have the Son does not possess eternal life. I've written this letter to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you will be assured and know without a doubt that you have eternal life. Listen to me very carefully. If there's anything that I want you to leave this room with today is a, an absolute confidence, assurance, and knowledge in your heart that I know where I stand spiritually. Where I, if God forbid, now listen, we're, we're, we believe in healing. We teach and preach healing. We believe in God has a plan for your life, that he's got good things in store for you, that beyond your wildest imagination, God is a good God. But if for some reason your life was to end just a few moments from now, do you have that assurance on the inside of you? My goal for today is that we all, every one of us, leave this room with that confidence. Would you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for the privilege that I've had to speak the word today into the lives of these precious people. Father, I thank you, Lord, and I don't take it for granted what you've allowed me to do today. I believe, Father, based on what you have told us in your word, that it is your plan for us to have that knowing on the inside of us of what our eternal destiny is, where we are going when our body ceases to function. I believe that's your will. I believe that's your plan for us to live that way. And I believe, Lord, you have a great plan for us to accomplish here in the earth, but you want us to live this life with eternity in our hearts and in our thinking. Father, I thank you, Lord, and I pray for every single person under the sound of my voice. I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, if there's anyone here that doesn't have that confidence and have that assurance, I pray, Father, that you would help me find them today. If there's someone in this room that has never given their heart to Christ, I pray that you would draw them by your spirit. And Father, if there is someone here that maybe has given their heart to Christ, but 
through life's decisions and things that we've done or we've said, whatever the case might be, our heart has grown cold towards the things of God and, and that lack of confidence, that assurance is no longer in our hearts. Father, I pray that you would help me find those people as well and draw them by your spirit, Father, so that we can all leave here today with that full assurance and confidence in our hearts. In Jesus' name. Now, very quickly, with every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around, if you're in this room today, and I'm gonna give two invitations primarily. Number one, if you've never given your heart to Christ, I want today to be your day. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. Somebody might, the thought might pop into your mind that says, you know what, I'll do that next week. No, today is the day of salvation. If you have never given your heart to Christ or you need to recommit your life to the Lord, listen, I'm not gonna embarrass you, I'm not gonna call you out, I'm not gonna make you come up here and give a 10 minute testimony or anything like that. But with every head bowed, nobody looking around, I want you to just boldly raise your hand up and say, Pastor, pray for me. I need to give my heart to Jesus or I need to recommit my life to the Lord. That's you, just put your hand up. I wanna pray with you. Hallelujah. Church, if you believe in what we're doing today, will you please pray this prayer with me? Say, Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. I thank you for the price that Jesus paid for me, that he died for me on the cross, shed his blood, that he was buried, but he was raised again on the third day. And he's alive today. He's seated at your right hand. I thank you, Lord, for doing that. And I believe with all my heart that you did it for me. Lord Jesus, forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my past. Give me a brand new start. I make you Lord of my life. I take myself off the throne and I put you on the throne of my life. Thank you for forgiving me. Thank you for cleaning me up and giving me a brand new start. Now fill me to the full and overflowing with the power of the Holy Spirit. Thank you for doing it today. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thanks once again for tuning in to the Spring Hill Church podcast. We hope that you have been blessed by today's message. If you would like more information about the church, please feel free to visit us at springhill.cc.